as you are making your way back to your seat. Uh, I would like to welcome you if you are a visitor with us this morning. Uh, my name is Pastor Jonathan, and I want you to know that you are welcome here. Uh, I also want you to know that I'm a natural researcher. I want to know anything about everything. My wife often makes fun of me when I make online purchases because I want to read every review that has ever been written on this product before I buy it. And then not only will I read the review, I want to read the comments in the section below to see if the review is really truthful. And then after I go to that, I want to go to the YouTube unboxing video so that I can actually see what's in the box and understand if what they're saying is true. I research everything about anything before I ever make a purchase. Well, Natalie and I had only been married for six months when we discovered that she was pregnant, and we were both really, really young. Uh, Natalie displayed her panic outwardly, and I, I displayed my panic inwardly by researching. And when Mackenzie was born, I downloaded every book and every app and every article that you could uh, download on the ages and stages of development of a child. And I wanted to know when we went to the doctor if we were doing everything right. I would go to the doctor and I would say, well, it says she should be doing this at 12 weeks. And we're at 12 and a half weeks. <laughs> and the doctor would just look at me and laugh. And he said, she's going to do what she wants to do when she wants to do it. She is a healthy child. And she's going to do what she wants to do when she wants to do it, not according to what your app says. And he was right. By the time we got Timothy, Nally and I didn't even remember when he was supposed to do anything. Uh, we just figured he'd do it when it was time for him to do it. And it's an amazing thing with kids. You just keep feeding them and they keep growing. And before you know it, they're no longer infants and no longer toddlers and no longer young children, but young men and young ladies who are maturing. In our passage today, John talks about what it looks like to walk in the light in every age and stage of our spiritual development. This morning, we're continuing in our series through the book of 1 John. Now, do you remember who John was writing to? He was writing to the church at Ephesus, and they were having an issue. It was the Gnostics that were telling them that Jesus alone was not enough to save, that it must be Jesus plus tradition or Jesus plus works. And John wrote to these believers who were seeing an exodus among their number so that they could have assurance that Christ is enough and confidence in Christ and not tempted by the lies invading the church. Two weeks ago, when I preached in 1 John, we discovered that our salvation is evidenced through our love for God and for one another. Today, we'll continue in the book of 1 John, discovering what it looks like to walk in the light in every age and stage of our spiritual development. Now, if you have your Bibles, take them out and turn to the book of 1 John today, and we'll be looking at 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. It says this, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now, in this passage, John says that he is writing six times. And then he uses three descriptives for the people that he is writing to. Children, 
young men, and fathers. He uses each of these terms twice. And there are two observations that we must understand before we can jump into the details of this text. The first one is, this is not about physical age. John here nicely paints a picture about growth and development, but he is not talking about physical age. He's talking about spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is a process that often has little to do with our physical age. God's people are at different levels of spiritual maturity, and John's descriptor of children and infants and young men and fathers is meant to paint a a physical picture of a spiritual reality. And then second, uh, ladies, you're not off the hook. Uh, Yes, this is Father's Day, and yes, God just so ordained it that we fell on this text today, but this text is not just for males. John is meaning to illustrate different age groups through these descriptors. And just as we can understand children to be male and female, we can understand young men to also include young ladies, and we can understand father to include mothers. This text is inclusive for the entire church, not just the male gender, because it's not even talking about a physical development, but a spiritual maturity. That being said, let's look at verse 12. It says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So who is John talking to? Well, at the time of this writing of this book, John was probably 80 years of age, and maybe even older. And it's, I haven't gotten there, but it's my understanding when you get to that age, most people are younger than you. And then a natural tendency for people who are of that age is to refer to people as child or children. It's not a derogatory term, but it's a term of just the practical application of the age difference, as well as John writes this because of his deep love for those who he is writing to. Uh, Here, John is not speaking to any particular group of believers by age or stage, but refers to all believers here. And he's referring to them as children because of his age and because of his deep love that he has for them. And this is confusing, given the context of the other ages and stages present. But we can understand children in verse 12 to include all believers. So what is John saying to all believers? Well, John is seeking to remind all believers that no matter where they are on the spiritual growth journey, they have all been forgiven of all of their sins. This will be important for the reader to be reminded of. Because remember, the Gnostics, they were seeking to sway them, to preach heresy, telling them that they were not forgiven of their sins, and that they must do this or do that to be forgiven. But John firmly and once again reminds the believers that you don't need to follow this tradition or submit to that particular law to be forgiven because you are forgiven. This is first listed by John because forgiveness is the most basic experience of the Christian life and a condition for fellowship with God. Forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. In fact, your forgiveness doesn't even have to do with anything you have done. John writes to remind the reader that they have been forgiven, not by anything of their own doing, but for his name's sake. We are forgiven on the basis of who he is and what he has done. Our sins are forgiven, but not for our sake. In other words, John is saying, you are washed clean. And you will always remain washed clean because Jesus died in your place. We are forgiven by not any of our doing, but for his name's sake. 
This means that you and I are not forgiven because of anything that we have done or deserve, but because of what Christ has done and earned for us. Our good deeds, our best, our repentance, our faith could never earn God's forgiveness. In fact, Isaiah 64, 6 says that our best, the best that we can bring is nothing but filthy rags. However, our worst that we can bring was not too much for Jesus' blood to atone for. God's forgiveness of our sin must be forever detached from our merit. God forgives sinners because it pleases him to glorify his name, not because anything that we have done. So believer today, quit trying to earn yourself into heaven. Don't believe Satan's lies when he tells you that you need to earn your salvation and rest in the confidence that we have in Christ, who we are forgiven in his name's sake. Now, I'm going to jump around. It's not typical of me, but I'm going to jump around a little bit today in the verses and just try to follow the different age and stage patterns that John has laid out here. So that being said, we'll move to the next children passage, which is at the end of verse 13. And it says this, I write to you, children, because you know the Father. Now, in the Greek, there are several words used for the word children. The Greek word used for children in verse 12 is different than the Greek word used for children in verse 13. The the term for children in verse 12 refers to all children. So we can understand that to be all believers. But then the term in verse 13 uh, refers more specifically to infants or to young children. Or even more specifically, it refers to children that are immature and are in need of care and guidance. So we can understand verse 12 as speaking to all believers. And we can understand children in verse 13 speaking to new believers. So what is John writing to these new believers? Well, John tells the new believers in Christ, you know the Father. You are learned of, you have knowledge of, you understand, or even more simply, your eyes have been opened to the truth, to the light. You are no longer in darkness, but you can see clearly. You know the way, the truth, and the life. In the same way that a physical infant knows their parents, They recognize their mom and dad. A spiritual infant recognizes and knows their father. But they still need help learning how to walk, learning how to follow, and learning how to walk in wisdom and how to follow in faith. One of the greatest joys of kids is seeing them discover the world like everything is new to them. Because it is, right? They're excited about everything. If you have any doubt with this, just watch a toddler play with a water sprinkler. It's pure joy, pure amazing. Or give them a simple balloon, not even a helium balloon, just a simple balloon with air in it, and watch them play for hours, hitting it up and down. Uh, Here's a life tip for you young parents. There is no need to buy an expensive gift for a toddler. Just give them an empty box with some wrapping paper, and they'll have hours of fun with it. But there's also an important factor to raising kids, isn't it? It's keeping them alive, right? AJ and I the other day bonded over how our toddlers love electrical outlets, right? They're fascinating things, the toddlers. They're holes all over the wall. And they're just at right there, just at their height where they can reach them. 
I mean, what could be more fun than taking a finger and sticking it in an electrical outlet or taking a paper clip and sticking it in there or anything else that you could find and stick in an electrical outlet? Well, with uh, toddlers, there's also an additional danger. It's convincing them that they can't jump off elevated objects because there's a real danger, and that danger is called gravity, right? Well, just like with physical infants, there is a great, great excitement with new believers. They act like they've heard the gospel for the very first time because they literally have. I remember when I first believed, I wanted to tell everyone I met without hesitation, without fear, that I had heard the greatest news ever, and I wanted to share it with everyone. In the church, new believers bring excitement to our churches. They remind us of the excitement and joy of the gospel. They bring energy to us as we see baptisms occurring. They bring a recharge to us as they come ready to serve in every capacity. But however, just like with physical toddlers, they need some parental instruction to help keep them safe and away from sticking their fingers in electrical sockets or jumping off elevated objects. So what must be done? Discipleship. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is what we call the Great Commission. And it calls us to do what? To make disciples. We can often miss that. But it says this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's where it stops, right? That's the end. No, it continues. It says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There must be teaching done for these new believers. On the counter, new Christians, you are not called to only believe, but you are called to be teachable, to be learnable to learn how to no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Well, how do you do this? How does this occur? Well, first is church. All of us, new believers especially, you need to be in church. The primary discipleship event at Mission Dorado Baptist Church is the Sunday morning expository sermon from God's Word. A new believer, you need to be in church every single Sunday morning to feast on God's word preached, binding rare, unavoidable circumstances. It is imperative that you are discipled by the word preached every Sunday morning. It is through the word of God that you are able to hear the voice of God, that the spirit of God is able to convict you, lead you, and direct you. And I will promise you this. As long as I preach at Mission Dorado Baptist Church, our sermons will be word-centered, text-driven, and expository in nature. And if that's new language to you, expository simply means this. It's a fancy word for meaning this. I'm simply seeking to expose to you what the Word of God is saying. My format is simple. What does the Word say? What does it mean? And how do we apply it? But listen to me when I say this. If at any point you end up not attending Mission Dorado Baptist Church and the word of God is not driving the sermons, you need to flee that place. My opinion or any other man's opinion really doesn't matter all that much. Therefore, we don't don't preach opinion. We preach the word of God. For the word of God is living and active. It pierces the division of the soul and spirit. It is light to our dark past. It is eternal truth. And we desire for it to dwell in us richly. New believer, you need to be in 
church. Well, how else do you grow as a new believer? Well, you need to be reading God's word daily and meditating upon it. You need to daily be reading the word, dwelling on it, thinking upon it, journaling it, and praying it. Oftentimes, you, you may hear people say, I don't know what to pray. Well, just pray scripture. Pray God's word back to him. Read God's word in prayer back to him. One of the other great methods of discipleship in the church is through community. And we accomplish this at Mission Dorado through our small groups that meet on Sunday mornings. New believer, you need to be involved in a small group so you can care for one another and be cared for. You need to be serving. We grow through our service. We expect every member at Mission Dorado Baptist Church to be serving, and you need to be serving somewhere. You need to be sharing. We grow in our faith through sharing. We expect every member at Mission Dorado Baptist Church to share their faith. It is through sharing that we are reminded over and over of the goodness of the gospel, and we practice obedience to the Great Commission. Listen to me when I say this, new believer. If you pursue discipleship, if you are learnable and teachable, soon enough you will grow up, and you're no longer an infant, but you will become a believer who is maturing. John refers to this as young men. And we see maturing believers evidenced in the middle of verse 13, in the middle of verse 14. Let me read those verses for us now. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And like I stated at the beginning, just because this terminology of young men is used here, we can understand this to also include young ladies and all of us on this spiritual journey. We're not talking about a physical descriptor, but a metaphor for spiritual growth. So we can understand young men to be believers who are not new, but they're not old. They are maturing believers. So what does John say about these maturing believers? He says that they have overcome the evil one. What does that mean? Well, Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So these maturing believers have understood where the battle is, that it's against Satan, and they have armored up to overcome him. And they have destroyed arguments against every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, as 2 Corinthians 10.5 says. So as whereas new Christians know the Father and not much else, maturing believers know the Father, they know the enemy, and they have overcome the evil one. In fact, John says that these maturing believers not only know the Father, know the enemy, and have overcome the evil one, but he says that they are strong. Strong in their knowledge of God and his truth so that they aren't swayed by every wind of doctrine. So that when the Gnostics came around and began to tell them lies that you must have Jesus plus traditions or Jesus plus works to be saved or to really earn your salvation, then they can boldly stand on the blood of Jesus as whose namesake they are forgiven in only by his works and not by our own. Maturing believers are strong. But how did they get there? Because the word of God abides in them. The lamp making their pathway clear. The word of God is at rest within them. They can see clearly who the enemy is because God's word is illuminating their paths. They have hidden God's word in their hearts so that they may not sin against him. They have taken Colossians 3.16 to heart. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And this has resulted in maturity. 
Maturity has made them strong and it has allowed them to overcome the evil one. And let's be clear, the evil one discussed here is Satan. And he is seeking to devour and destroy each and every one of us. And the best way to defeat the devil in our lives is to know and to use the sword of the Spirit, the Bible, against him. It's what Jesus did during his temptation in the wilderness. And it's what we should use as well. We go about defeating the devil with God's word. And the crazy thing about children is if you continue to feed them, most of the time they continue to grow. And before you know it, that child has become a preteen. And I'm told that that preteen becomes a teenager, although I'm not in a hurry to find that out. And then the teenager becomes a high school graduate. And then the high school graduate goes off to college and adulthood. And all along the way, as they are fed they, and they grow, they grow in strength and wisdom. But then a crazy thing also happens as they mature into adults, isn't it? You figure out that diet matters. Whereas when you were a child, your diet may have consisted of 99% carbs and 99% sodium, uh, you figure out as an adult that you need a healthy diet to give you a clarity of mind and strength and energy. So how do you grow and become a maturing believer in Christ? You need to know and practice the Word of God. Have a healthy diet of reading God's Word and not just Instagram verses. The temptations are going to come. The evil one, Satan, is really good at tempting us to sin. He's really good at making sin look enticing. And he's really good at making us forgetting about loving our neighbors and convincing us to love ourselves first. Yet if your mind is saturated with scriptures, the love of God, the daily presence of God in your life, you are equipped to win the victory over any temptation. God has not thrown you on the battlefield with no armor. He has given you the whole armor of God. And you can have confidence in him, walk confidently in him, and be prepared to fight every battle you face with the word of God. Christians, our sins have been forgiven. And we should be strong spiritually. We should have God's word abiding in us, at rest in us, at rest in our hearts. And we can overcome Satan's influence in our lives with knowledge and practice of the word. However, and I want you to hear me when I say this. One of the saddest realities in the American church today is that there are many, many Christians who have believed for many, many years, but who are still in the nursery, taking a bottle of milk and being cradled and rocked as an infant. Believer, I implore you today, hide the word of God in your hearts so that you may be strong and overcome the evil one. But then John continues at the beginning of verse 13 and the beginning of verse 14, saying almost the exactly, exactly the same thing to fathers. He says, I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. The final age and stage of spiritual development is one that John paints as a parental figure. Uh, these are those who are, are spiritually mature. What is it that defines the spiritually mature? Well, he says that you know him. 
All Christians, mature and immature, have come to know God. But these mature Christians, their knowledge of him has ripened with the years. And while the new believers know him, mature believers know him that was from the beginning. Their relationship with God has been going on for quite some time now. And they know that while humans change, while cultures change and seasons change, God never changes. He is the same forever. And while culture changes and while time marches on, these mature believers find rest and refuge in him who is from everlasting to everlasting God. Psalm 90 verse 1 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Mature believers find refuge, rest, and dwell in him who never changes. I shared earlier that Natalie and I were incredibly young when we found out that she was pregnant with Mackenzie. I was working part-time at a church, not making a whole lot of money, and attending seminary full-time. Natalie was working part-time at Payless Shoes, which I don't even think is still open, and she was not making a whole lot of money either. Neither of us was making a whole lot of money, and, but I was determined that I was not going to go into debt for my education. And so we took every spare penny that we had and put it towards my education. And at the end of the month, uh, there were times that we were barely feeding ourselves after uh, paying for education expenses and living expenses and uh, living on two part-time jobs. And we found out that Natalie was pregnant. It was not something that we were planning on. And I was excited, but I was also fearful. And when the reality set in that I was going to also have to feed and clothe and diaper a child, panic ensued. I had an older man who was mentoring me, and I went to his house in a panic, and I told him the news, and I said, what am I going to do? I can barely feed my wife and I. And he just laughed at me, and he smiled, and he gave me a big hug and told me, congratulations. I said, I don't think you heard me. I am worried. And he laughed at me, and I said, what am I going to do? He said, well, first of all, you're going to have a baby. He said, I've been there, and it's going to be okay. Here's what you're going to do. And he calmly walked me through understanding that even though the baby, we, Natalie was pregnant, the baby wasn't coming tomorrow, and I had time to figure out how to earn some additional income, uh, that many of the expenses for babies don't come until after you run out of the baby shower diapers and until they're weaned. And he pointed me to, to directing my focus on caring for Natalie and gave me calm advice. Why was he able to do this? Because he knew. He had walked this path before. He recognized the panic in my eyes and he met it with a calmness that comes from having walked down the same path and having made it to the other side. Mature believers of Mission Dorado, I thank God for you. You are a calm voice in seasons of distress. We need you. We need each other. I think one of the saddest realities that we face within the American church culture today is not understanding the resource and value that we have in our mature believers. In American culture, we are quick to run to a video of an expert on this or that or to chase the loudest voice on social media to find a solution to our problem when oftentimes the wisest counsel that we can receive is worshiping faithfully alongside us each morning. New believer in this room, I would urge you greatly to find a mature believer. If you don't know who they are, ask someone. They can point them to you. Introduce yourselves to them and tell them that you need them.
maturing believers. I would urge you greatly to find a mature believer today. You may already know them, but take them to lunch. Ask questions and listen. Mature believers, listen to me clearly when I say this. Don't you dare say you're done. Don't you dare say you're done. God has left you here because we need you. We need you to be the calm voice in our seasons of panic. We need you to be the voice of wisdom, telling your story of God's faithfulness in the past so that we can trust in the faithfulness of God in the future. In every church I have served in, I've had older men who have poured into me. And oftentimes I'll have men at other churches tell me, I wish I had that. And my response is, you do. Go get them. Take them to lunch and listen. Mature believers, you are not done. We need you. And when a new or maturing believer comes to you, would you allow yourself to be used? Listen, church, I believe in generational discipleship. I am a product of generational discipleship. We need younger believers because they have excitement and energy and fresh joy. And their excitement, their baptisms, their energy brings excitement within the church. We need mature believers because they know the word. They know how to be steadfast. They know how to stand strong when the enemy comes. And they have overcome the enemy. And they are able to take new believers with their joy and excitement and point them towards the word so that they may become strong. Have the word of God abiding in them. Overcome the evil word, evil one and then become mature believers. Generational discipleship sees mature believers helping new believers become maturing believers who then become mature believers. At some point in church history, we have lost the vision and understanding of Titus 2 in which we are constantly replicating ourselves. At some point in church history, we have lost that vision. Church, we need one another to be able to walk in the light in every age and stage of our spiritual walk. Christian, because we know Jesus, we must grow in him and help others grow in him too. That's our big idea for today. I'll say it one more time. Christian, because we know Jesus... We must grow in him and help others grow in him too. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you are in this room and you are a believer, then according to this passage, you are in one of three spiritual stages. You are immature or a new believer. You are maturing, a maturing believer or you are a mature believer. If you are a new believer who is immature, I praise God for you. Your excitement for the gospel and your joy is contagious. Don't hide it, but you fan that flame. You need to grow in him. You need discipleship. You need someone teaching you what it looks like to be a discipled Christ follower. So you need to be in church. The primary discipleship event at Mission Dorado is the Sunday morning expository sermon from God's word. Don't you miss it. You be here. New believer, you need to meditate upon God's word daily. Read it, dwell on it, think on it, journal it, and then pray it. If you don't know what else to pray, then you pray God's word back to him. New believer, you need to be a part of a small group at Mission Dorado. Through these, you will grow in relationships with one another that allow you to care for one another and to be cared for. 
You need to be serving. We grow through our service. Find somewhere and plug in today. You need to share. We grow in our faith through sharing. We go out once a quarter as a church, but we want you to share your faith with everyone you meet. If you don't know what to say to them, just tell them what God has done in your life. Tell them how the gospel has changed you and ask them to respond. You believer, you need an older man or woman who you can pray with, confide in, and walk through life with. Find them today. Go get them. Ask them to lunch and ask them to your homes. Maturing believer, I praise God for you. You know and practice the word of God and have a healthy diet of reading God's word. You have figured out the protection of God's word and battle as armor, and God's word is at rest in you. However, you are far from done. Stay steadfast, stay steady, stay on the correct path. We need one another to do this. You need someone who you are pouring into as a new believer and discipling. And you need someone who is pouring into you and discipling you. Do you have this? If you cannot think of someone who you are discipling or someone who is discipling you, then you need to find those relationships quickly. God has not called any Christian to be a lone ranger Christian. We are to be walking together, spurring one another towards good works, building each other up, and we cannot do that alone. Mature believer, I thank God for you. Don't you dare say you're done. God has left you here because we need you. Today and every Sunday, fight the urge to hurry out of church. Stick around. Flag down a new or maturing believer. Meet them. Exchange contact information. Get to know one another. We need you to be the calm, steady voice in seasons of panic, distress, and drift, pointing towards the rock, the guide, and the anchor, Jesus Christ. Listen to me, church. Generational discipleship is not a program. It's not something that the pastor and staff plan. It's something that the church does. We need to get over our culture of not talking to one another until we're told to do so. Younger believer, go find an older man and you take them to lunch and pay for it. Older man, you find that person who was baptized, who just joined the church, and you have them to your home. This is not something planned or programmed. This is who we are, church. We are known by our love for one another, walking alongside each other to love God together. Are you willing to do this? Let's get after it. There's another age and stage that was not mentioned in this passage of Scripture, and that is the one who is yet to believe. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. The payment for our sin, which we are all sinners, is eternal separation in a real place called hell from God forever. But the second half of Romans 6.23 says this, The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Today, God is extending mercy to you. God loves you so much that he made a way that you can be reunited with him for all of eternity in a real place called heaven. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to earth as a baby. Being fully God and fully man, he lived a sinless, perfect sinless life here on earth, but yet went to a cross and died for our sins. And three days later, he defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave. Today, you can go from being guilty in the eyes of God to being a child of God. You can swap sides. It is not too late if you have breath. Today, repent of your sins or turn from your sins. Believe in Jesus and follow him all the rest of your days. 
Have you done this? If not, today is the day of salvation. Would you accept his mercy before you receive his judgment? In a moment, I'll pray and we'll sing. And in that moment, you can come and receive Christ as your Savior. Church, I love you. I want you to hear me say that. I'll pray and then you all come.